If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In today's episode, I'm speaking with the gorgeous Megan. Megan lives in far north Queensland and has a gorgeous little boy named Jed. So welcome to the podcast tonight, Megan. I would love to start by understanding what led you to decide to become a solo mum by choice. Um, well, I guess my story is a bit like a lot of other women that I've kind of heard on the podcast. Um, unlucky in love, I guess, just <laughs> was looking for, I guess I just realised um, that I was looking for a relationship for the wrong reasons because I wanted to have a baby. Yeah. And you know, when I kind of realized that I was like, well, it's probably not going to work out for the best, you know, if that's the reason. So um, the idea was sort of actually planted in my head quite a few years ago from my mum. So um, my mum did pass away seven years ago. um, And just before she passed away, she was quite ill. And um, we're having a conversation with my, my nana. So her mum, and she said to me, my nana, oh, when are you going to give me some great-grandchildren? And I kind of just laughed and said, you know how babies are made, right, nana? Like, it's a bit hard <laughs> when I don't have anyone to make babies with. And my mum just jokingly said, don't worry about it, darling. We'll just get you a sperm donor off the internet. <laughs> and I sort of, at the time, I went, gee, mum, thanks for the vote of confidence that, you know, I'm going to need to do that. But, yeah, yeah. anyway. And then a few, li- few years later, there I was. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess I just, um, have always wanted to be a mum and I think for me it was a priority and I was just like, well, I don't really need a man to do that. And, um, you know, of course it's, it's scary, like the financial, you know, how am I going to support a child on my own and how am I, you know, going to go through the process of having a child? Um, but in the end you sort of it's worth it. Like you just, I guess you make things work and, you know, we're still only early days, but um, yeah. So um, like we just said before, there's lots of the joys of being a a solo Um, mum. But I guess it just makes us stronger and we just have to deal with it and we have to prioritise. And yeah, so um, that's sort of the reason or how, I came about it was kind of my mum that planted the idea and do you remember the moment you went actually I'm going to start doing something about this yeah so um when I sort of thought to myself like I really started thinking about it and obviously age was a big thing um I was kept getting told my biological clock was ticking and um yeah I sort of in my head went well yep better better start if I want to do this I better start thinking about it so I started what age um, were you do you think when you yeah I was um 36 so I started the process when I was 37 Mm -hmm. um yeah and um so it sort of when I sort of had the made the decision in my head I kind of went oh yeah you know this is the right decision mum knew all along that that's what I needed to do so kind of had that little you know 
glimmer of this is meant to be. This is this is what's meant to be for me. So um, yeah, I was thirty six when I sort of decided, yeah. and um, I started the process. Yeah, when I was around thirty seven. So um, I decided to go straight to um, IVF. Okay. Um, I had the the choice, obviously, to try the um the IUI and sort of had some conversations with my fertility specialist and he sort of said, you know, if you want to have more than one and, you know, with your age and all the odds and stuff, um, never heard the end of my age from my fertility <laughs> specialist, you know. Well, only so 37, was, but, yeah, okay. Yeah, but, you know, he, um, so, yeah, I decided to go straight to IVF um, straight up and I just skipped doing the IUIs and, um, so yeah, I think I was 37, um, when I started and so, yeah, when I started my cycle, it was very much, um, you know, don't expect too much, you know, cause of your age and all this, um, stuff that I had to listen to. He was very optimistic, my fertility specialist. And I actually mentioned that to him one day. I said, I love your, how optimistic you are. And he said, oh, well, I'm only just you know, I have to be real. I have to be, you know, honest with you. So um, when I started, I was going for my scans and he kind of said to me, oh, you know, I'm not really seeing much happening. You know, there's not many follicles and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, don't expect too much. Um, we'll be lucky if we are able to, like, get four eggs. So that was a bit, like, disheartening. I was like, yeah. oh, you know. I kind of had in my head that, you know, first round of IVF never works. So, you know, that's okay. Um, and it came to my egg collection day and I decided to do the twilight sedation. So it's when you're kind of awake. Um, so as they were sort of collecting the eggs, I could hear the running commentary as we were going along. And um, we ended up getting 10 eggs and the fertility specialist was like, oh, this is amazing. Like I did not expect this for you. Um, and out of those 10, seven were good, seven were mature and fertilized. And, um, I ended up with four, um, embryos on day five. Wow. So, I um, thought you'd only get four eggs to start with. Thought I'd only get wrong, four wasn't eggs. It? Yeah. And I ended up with four good quality, um, good graded day five embryos. And, um, Jed was my very first transfer. So, um, when I went back to see him when I had my scan and he goes, oh, I have to say thank you for upping my, you know, stats for getting pregnant first go at your age. <laughs> I was like, gee, thank you. Um, so, but yeah, how I guess. Did you, how did you choose him as a specialist? <laughs> well, um, I guess I was kind of lucky in a way. Um, it was a client of mine through work, new um, someone at the fertility clinic and so kind of started the process like having a conversation with him and he sort of put me led me towards this and he did say to me at the beginning he said I'm going to be honest he's very kind of blunt very to the point but he does he gets the job done like he he has good he has good outcomes and well at the, at the end of the day I'm kind of one of those people I like being told like the truth and um but yeah he was just like oh you know that's I'm very surprised and you know because at 37 you are geriatric <laughs> when it comes to pregnancy oh, <laughs> yeah so um I guess I was one of the very very lucky ones that only had to do the one round and yeah he was my very first fresh little transfer um and if it hadn't worked on your first round do you think you'd want to go back to that specialist or do you think you'd want to change <laughs> um I don't know because I've still got the three embryos frozen I guess the um it's not as involved the process like leading up so um look like I think because I was pre-warned about his disposition I was like and his bedside manner it's kind of prepared for it but at the end of the day I was just like you know 
I just want to have a baby. Like I don't really care, you know, and I proved him wrong at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> that that um, just because I was 37 didn't mean that, you know, I didn't have good eggs and I wasn't going to have a baby the first go. So, you know, it's kind of, um, yeah, I probably would go back to him. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> But maybe not recommending to others if they were no. more sensitive, <laughs> potentially. I definitely, yeah, if I talk to people about it and they ask me who I use, I definitely do say, look, yeah, he's very blunt. But, you know, I'm, I kind of am okay with that. Like I'm yeah. kind of, yeah. So um, I just, yeah. But if people are quite sensitive, I would definitely wouldn't recommend him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so you got pregnant first time, first transfer, which is fantastic. How did pregnancy go for you? I was actually, um, again, quite lucky. I didn't have any morning sickness or anything like that. Um, just obviously the, the usual um, fatigue and um, stuff like that. Um, quite a few because my job while I was pregnant, I was, um, I'm a Pilates instructor. So I was on my feet like for five hour shifts at a time, like wow. teaching classes. Um, so I was quite active, obviously, during my pregnancy, um, but it was exhausting. <laughs> it was very, very exhausting. Um, yeah. But you had I some really good core strength, though, to carry them. <laughs> yeah, but did still, like, because I was on my feet a lot, had quite a bit of, like, um, you know, hip pain like all that sort of stuff that comes along with pregnancy but yeah I um actually instructed right up until I was 38 weeks um wow at that time I was waddling around um it was right in it was just after so yeah sorry I probably should have mentioned that this all sort of my whole cycle IBS cycles during COVID um Mm -hmm. during lockdown um my actual first cycle did get cancelled because of COVID. It was when IVF was all cancelled and all those things. So, which which was a bit like upsetting because at that time when they said it was cancelled, there was no real knowing when it was going to restart. Yeah. But I only um, missed it um, one month. So it was just a month. And then I started my cycle the next, the following month. So, um, the whole time I was pretty much doing my stims and stuff, I was in lockdown, which I was like, it's probably not a bad thing that no mm-hmm. one had to deal with my moods. And, you know, um, but when we did come out of lockdown and like towards the end of our, my pregnancy, I was still having to wear masks and stuff when we we're instructing and oh, which is quite, horrible. it was quite, you know, at the end of pregnancy, it's quite hard to breathe because you're, yeah internal organs are being squished and walking up and down a room and still having to try and talk with a mask on. So um, that wasn't the nicest experience, but I think um, being active through my whole pregnancy was what sort of, you know, why I had quite a good, I was pretty lucky I had quite a good pregnancy. And was birth pretty good as well? Well, (laughs) my little guy, um, because of my age, I was told, and because he was an IVF baby, um, they wouldn't let me go over my due date. So they insisted that I would be induced. So um, they started the induction process like the day before my due date. So um, he would, so went in the night before and they put the catheter blown in and start the induction and then the next morning which was his actual due date um was when they broke my waters and started on the syntocin drip and um I had two of my good friends with me and um I had the most brilliant midwife I was part of the um midwifery group practice the MGP program okay. we have here which is um she was just beautiful I still keep in touch with her now um, and had her with me and um, came, it was six hours into me being on the Syntocin drip and she says, yeah, we should be seeing more happening by now. Like she said, you're having contractions, but, you know, like 
can you not feel it? And I was like, well, I can, but it doesn't hurt. Like it's not painful. She's going, oh, okay. Um, so she actually called the obstetrician to see if they could up the dose, even though I was already on the maximum of the dose. Um, she said, oh, we'll just see if we can up it. And they said, oh, we really want you to do an examination first. So she came up, she's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I have to, I'm really sorry. I have to do an examination. I was like, whatever, do whatever you got to do. That's your job. Um, just go. Yeah. I'm like, whatever. So by this time, my waters were gone. Like they'd broken. Um, and so she's doing the examination. She said, oh, you're only still two centimetres dilated. And that's what I was in the morning when my waters were broken. Um, and she said, oh, I'm just going to do a palpation and just have a feel. She goes, I feel when she did the examination, she said, I feel like there's some like bulging or pressure on baby's head. Um, so she did a palpation and she was feeling and she goes, oh, and kind of at that moment I had a um, contraction and you could kind of see, like pretty much see the outline of the baby. And she says, so, yeah, I don't think we have a head in the pelvis anymore. Um, oh. I'm just going to go get the bedside scanner and get the obstetrician. And they came in, did an examination, um, did a bedside scan, and he had turned. <laughs> so he was very, very active when he was in my belly and he had turned. So he was laying then transverse. So it's actually his shoulder that she was feeling, not his head. Um, and then so it was all systems go like you're going for a cesarean and I was um devastated I was like I said to him I don't have a plan I have no plan I just do not want to have a cesarean that's my worst nightmare um and when she said to me that we had to like there's no choice because my waters had broken they couldn't try and turn him again um she says yeah so yeah we're going for a um we're going for a cesarean. It was just like the room then was full of people. Like it just happened all so quickly. And um, then, yeah, when we got in there, they um, had a lot of trouble getting him out. Like he was really, really stuck because by the time we got to theatre, he turned even more. So he's laying breech by the time we got there. It was just Hi. like, <laughs> and now he hasn't stopped. He's still very, very active. Um, so they ended up having to get a consultant to come and get him out because he was really, like, stuck in there. And the um, obstetrician that did my cesarean came to me after and said, I did not expect to get a four-kilo baby out of you because <laughs> I wasn't very big and he was yeah. all sort of, like, stuck right at my back. So they said, yeah, there was no way he was coming out because throughout all my um scans they kept telling me he had a really big head so his head was in the 90th percentile for most of the time which was scary I was like oh gosh but um it actually turned out when he came out he had a very odd shaped little head and um they kept sort of saying to me oh it'll change it's just positional just because he didn't obviously spend much time down in your pelvis um, but it sort of got, and my midwife said to me, she said, oh, he's the way he came out, he's going to have like issues with his neck. Cause he was really hyperextended through his neck. And okay. so, so she referred us to go to see a pediatric Cairo and mm-hmm. he started seeing her when he was like six days old. Um, and then she sort of said to me, when he was about six weeks old, she said, oh, this head hasn't, it hasn't changed the shape of it. Um, and she said, I just really think you should go see a pediatrician and get like a second, like in a second opinion. Um, I think he may have craniosynostosis. And of course I Googled it. Of course you did. Yes. <laughs> and I was just a mess after that. Um, this tiny little baby like on my own um I was very very lucky that when I had him my dad came to stay with me for a while Mm -hmm. um because Jed was born in Brisbane but then we moved to up to Mission Beach when he was about five months old but um yeah my dad had come to stay with me but he'd gone by this stage so I sort of had no one there finding out that this is 
that my baby might have this condition. So we went to the pediatrician. He pretty much said straight away, yeah, it's pretty obvious that that's what he has. We just have to do like an X-ray and stuff to sort of confirm. And so, so what does that mean, that diagnosis? So um, craniosynostosis is a birth defect when, um, so the baby, like babies have um, sutures in their skull. So it's in pieces. Yeah. So um, craniosynostosis can, is when one of the sutures has fused prematurely. So his, okay. his sagittal suture, which is the run, one that runs from the front to the back, had already fused. So as his brain grew, his skull couldn't grow like outways. It grew long, so it was really long at the back, like a football shape, and his little forehead kind of was bulging out. So, yeah, so when we saw the paediatrician, he sort of said, I'm pretty sure, like I can't confirm it without an X-ray, but um, I'm pretty certain because he had quite a hard, like, bony ridge that ran down there, down the suture line. So once we did that, we referred then to the um, to a plastic surgeon and he was the one that diagnosed it. So I think Jed was about seven weeks old then and he was like, yep, this is what he has and the only way to fix it is surgery. So, and so you're all this- by yourself at this point? How yeah. is that? Tiny little baby, seven weeks old and then obviously finding out he had to have the surgery and then you Google <laughs> as you do, you Google. <laughs> um, I'm kind of one that wants to know everything, absolutely yeah. everything. So I had, I did in advance Google a surgery, even though the surgeons explain it. So the surgery that he had to have was called cranial vault remodeling. So he had a total reconstruction of his skull. Wow. So basically without going into gory details, they literally take the whole, cut, whole skull off and cut it up into pieces and put it back together like a jigsaw puzzle. That's wow. sort of the way the plastic surgeons um, explain it in that those sort of terms. Um, so, yeah, knowing that, and he basically said to me at that stage, um, take your baby home, enjoy him. He's not sick, but he has to have this surgery. And they generally do the surgeries between um, 10 and 12 months, that surgery. They just want them to be bigger and stronger. Um, So, yeah, it was quite a long, long, you know, you just sort of stress and overanalyse everything after that. Um, Wait after finding out the diagnosis to... Having yeah, if it was so surgery. early on, that's quite a long time that you're going to have to wait before you can have yeah. the surgery, isn't it? Yeah. The surgery. Yeah. So he, um, they did, they do do, um, we had quite a few like hospital appointments and stuff because he had to have um, regular ophthalmology appointments just to, they check the optic nerve to make sure they don't have any pressure because they can get pressure mm-hmm. on the brain. And they did note at one of his appointments that he did have a little bit of pressure on one side. So they were then like monitoring that like quite frequently. We were having regular um, checks with that. And then um, so, you know, everything then was just like, sort of second guess yourself so any anytime something little was wrong I was like is it because of his head is this you know is he in pain is you know when they cry they're babies they cry is this is he in pain is it so it's just you know because they can't talk they can't say if it does being by yourself you don't have someone else to bounce that off as well a hundred percent yeah and I think that's the way like with anything like when they get I've said it all along you know I don't have that person to bounce things off and go he's all right or yeah, he's fine, you know. Um, but, yeah, he. Um, we in the meantime had moved up to Mission Beach and living the lovely beach life. So um, it was then scheduled, his surgery was scheduled in December. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the big build-up for that. And then it got cancelled because no. of COVID. So I was quite devastated because it's such a big build up, like, you know, to prepare yourself for and 
whatnot, and then um, got cancelled. And then um, it got, and at that point, again, they were like, we can't, we don't know when it's going to be rescheduled for. And um, he then, and then it got rescheduled for February. So he had the surgery five days after his first birthday. Um, yeah, so it was, um, it was done in Brisbane. So we had to go back to Brisbane for that. And we were there for three weeks in Brisbane. Um, he was in hospital for a week after, and then we had to stay around for two weeks after that. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was was after the surgery. It was, um, again, I was very, very lucky. My dad did come with us. I could not have done that on my own. I was an absolute wreck um like handing your baby over to them knowing exactly what they're going to do was just like I did not cope well um and it was such a long day then like this longest I'd ever been away from him for one and you know um you know dad's being dads he could try and get some sleep as if I'm going to sleep I'm not going to sleep try and eat something Mm probably not going to eat either you know so it was like I was very very lucky to have him there um he had a he was in ICU for the night after and he had a quite a rough night in there they were um did yeah, you go with them or did you just have to leave him with them no I stayed with him there was no I was way I was leaving him um and the ICU nurse we had was amazing she was just beautiful she was like she even let my dad stay when it's usually only one person in ICU. Um, so, yeah, she sort of said to me at one point in the night, she's like, I'm going to move him over and you're going to get into bed with him because you need to get some rest, you know. So she was really lovely. She let me get in and, like, snuggle him. Um, he was still quite out of it. But, yeah, he had a quite a rough night with, like, you know, quite a few things going wrong. He did have to have had a blood transfusion in surgery and then he had to have another one in ICU because he lost a lot of blood still because he had some little drains in and he was not clotting. And then um, at one point in the night he was very like they couldn't, when they were doing his obs and stuff, they couldn't like wake him. So they were like quite concerned. They rushed him off at 4 a.m. in the morning for a CT because they thought he had a brain bleed and it was not nice. at all um but yeah we sort of got through that night and um then we got to the ward and it's a whole new world there because you know you're kind of on your own I had to pretty much look after him um there's three other people in the room and only you know the nurses when you buzz them and he still had lots of things attached to him so like cords and drains and you know um he had so many things, IVs he, everywhere. And um, all he wanted to do was be held, of course. And um, it was just hard to sort of handle him. And the nurses were quite like, you know, like, you know, well, you're just going to have to. Because I'm like, I got, I had a bit of a breakdown. I'm like, how am I meant to do this? How am I meant to look after him? Like, they were like, well, you will. And I had a little bit of a standoff with the nurses in um on the ward because we co-sleep always have and um they were adamant I had to put him in the cot for the night in on the ward and I said well it's not happening like he will not sleep in the cot um neither of us will get any sleep yeah and they said oh well that's our hospital policy like he has to go into the cot and I said well He's like, can I go back to ICU? Then <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, can we just go back? Um, but I just sort of, and she sort of said to me, the nurse at one point, she goes, well, unfortunately, I think what you're going to have to do is just put him in the cot and let him cry and he'll eventually wear himself out. And I said, well, you do realise he just had major surgery on his head, right? Like I'm sure that's not going to be good for him. Um, I'm not moving out of this bed. Like you're going to physically have to move me as well. So I sort of just <laughs> put my foot down. I was like, not happening. And um, they sort of didn't mention it again after that. So I, um, and then, yeah, he, I just held him. Like he literally was on me for five days straight, pretty much. My dad would come and 
for the first few days he wouldn't go to dad and I was like I'm not forcing it I'm not gonna I don't want to upset him um so you know as we do as mums we just find the strength find the energy don't know how but um you know he yeah he just wanted me and I was like I'm I'm not gonna upset him so yeah he um he had sort of all the little drains he had a big bandage on his head for like three days and he was still quite sleepy but he is still he was quite um sick as well he was like vomiting a lot and I was gonna so say he's he was, quite a bit of mids and pain yeah and stuff, yeah so. on the pain medicine and then it, it was making him eat chi and so he was on you know it was just yeah so he was very miserable um little boy for um quite a few days so he um we had the surgery on the Tuesday and then they discharged us on Sunday yeah. afternoon and I knew he was not ready to go home but they sort of just were like see ya <laughs> and luckily we're just across the road and um I ended up taking him back to emergency at 4am in the morning because he was just screaming in pain he was just because all they send you home with is Panadol and Nurofen so and I just knew that he was in pain like that sounds like not much after skull surgery yeah, yeah. exactly but um yeah, it was a long sort of week after that. And then, you know, um, I'd been told by quite a few people whose children had had this same surgery that they just turn a corner. Like they will just, you know, one day they just turn the corner and I was just couldn't see that light. And then it was probably, yeah, maybe a week after that he was just sort of could start to see him again little glimpses of him again and um yeah it's just amazing how resilient they are like they just bounce back so quickly they just bounce back so quickly um yeah he he was quite lucky because um generally after this surgery because of the way they do it they um usually day three and three or four they swell up so bad their face that they can't see their eyes swell shut and um I was just like how scary would that be you know like you don't know what's happened to you and now you can't see and um so I literally like I said I was in bed with him the whole time and I just held him upright he slept on me and um the surgeon came to see us on day three or four and said this is his eyes didn't end up swelling shut because I'd kept him upright. And he said, this is the most minimal swelling I've ever seen. He's like, this is amazing. So I was, you know, as much as I was exhausted, I was, you know, for him, I was glad that, you know, he didn't have to go through that. But, yeah, after about a week, he sort of started to be himself again, which then was very stressful for me because he wanted to be walk, like try and he was, before his surgery, he was almost walking. <laughs> so then he's like pulling himself up and yeah, the the next stage of stress came for me where I was having to um, you know, be a helicopter trying to stop him from falling and banging his head and <laughs> did he have any extra protection or anything on his head? Like I've seen those kids that have little helmets or anything while it's healing or just a bandage. Yeah. Right. So the bandage came off on day three um, and that was it. It was just, yeah, and they just say, like, you can't put anything on it because it can irritate the incision and cause infection and stuff like that. Like he couldn't, he said, you know, try and keep him out of the sun. Like he couldn't go swimming. He couldn't do any of that. Um, couldn't really wear a hat because don't want him to be sweating and get infection. So, yeah, it was just literally me following him around making sure he didn't hang his head. So I was his protection still, um, what is it, like seven months ago now, and I'm still like that. <laughs> yeah. So seven so, months later, is there any anything that still has to happen with his condition or is that the surgery and now he's healed and that's it? Um, yeah, so generally it is a, well, the idea is it's a one and done surgery. There are times where kids have to have it again. Um, because the head can kind of start to try and revert back to the shape it was. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had 
quite a few follow-ups already. So they're really good with that. Like I had a few concerns, so they just got us down there and, um, yeah, um, so we don't have to go back. We were there in August and um, we don't have to go back for a year now. So that was good. He got the all clear for a year and um, hopefully anything down the track will be cosmetic. Yeah. So many things that they can do now that, you know, um, hopefully would mean he wouldn't have to go through that again. Um, But, yeah, he's just a very lively, active little boy that just, yeah, keeps me on my toes. So just has some cool scars maybe. Yeah, some really cool scars. That's what they say. So, um, yeah, the incision. Scars, isn't that how it goes? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, his hair's grown now, so he can't even see his incision. So that's what the surgeon said. It'll only be if he has once short back and sides that you will see it and it'll just look like he's had some cool lines cut in there. You know, that's all the rage with the kids. So yeah, he's um yeah, he's doing great. He's just yeah, keeping me on my toes. But I love every minute of it. <laughs> so if you look back now with what you've been through with his surgeries and everything, is there anything you would do differently or any advice you would give to any other mums that are about to go through something similar? Um, no, I think it's just like everyone keeps saying like once you're on the other side, like you'll see that, you know, they just, they do, they're so resilient. It's like more, like I keep saying to everyone, I will have the, he'll have the physical scars and I'll have the mental emotional scars because he's not going to remember it. But, um, you know, we always find that strength to just be and do what our children need us to be. I just, yeah, everyone said to me, oh, I don't know how you did it. Like, you know, and I was like, well, he's my baby. I have to, like, it's my job, (laughs) you know. Um, So, you know, just know that, yeah, it it is, once you get on the other side, it is um, looking back. Um, Yeah, you just find that strength. And, like, now when I think about it, I'm like, wow, I, I went through that too, you know, and, you know, we got through it together. So. Yeah, it's just, you know, that the love, I guess, is all you all it's about. Mm-hmm. You're gonna start singing for me when you yeah. <laughs> And so when you went to choose your donor, what did you go through for that? Um, well, it was quite funny because a lot of people sort of um, you know, I see sort of on these single mum pages that I'm on that there's a lot of people that sort of go, oh, you know, I, it's really hard for me to choose a donor. And I know it is a big decision, but I guess I just decided that I wasn't going to overthink it. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, like um, I got my spreadsheet back then. There was, it was a spreadsheet with all the donors available on it. And um, I just kind of knew like I wanted someone with similar features to me. So I wanted Caucasian. So across anyone that wasn't Caucasian off the list. So it's just process of elimination is how I chose. Yeah. I then went, okay. Um, not that I have anything against redheads, but you know, we had to limit, we had to cut it out. My dad's got red hair and I was kind of like, I'll probably end up with a redhead across the redheads off the list. And then I <laughs> sort of just went, okay. Um, okay let's get a bit of height about this child. So I crossed anyone that was really short off the list. And then I sort of had my short list and I had a very, like, I know a lot of people say like the um, health and, you know, the medical history side, it was a big thing for them. But I think I read somewhere the other day from another single mom, you know, that if you were to meet someone in the bar, you're not going to run through a full medical family history with them before you, you know, decide that, you know, they're the one. So I had a brief look at that um, and was sort of like, oh, you know, anything that was quite major, I was like, you cross them off. And and the way that I kind of chose my donor was they had the option to write like a little blurb about why they chose to donate. And a lot of them were blank, um, but he had written quite in-depth, like quite deep and meaningful reason why he why he wanted to donate I thought oh that was really nice like you know so 
yeah, and then I chose him. <laughs> so, and um, didn't really give it a second thought. Oh. It was just, that was it. <laughs> and now you've still got three or four in the freezer? Three. Right. So I've got three in the freezer. And, um, yeah, so they. You um, you'll be adding to the family in the future or? Um, I'm still, I've always wanted two. Yeah. And um, that was just, you know, obviously before when you think of your, when you're younger, I guess, you think of your perfect family, could always see two children. Um, I do want him to have a sibling, mm-hmm. but it's, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think um, I've read it um, from you quite a bit um, and I keep going over this in my head. Like if I just have him, I can do more. We can on holidays and I can give him more. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, mm, but maybe he needs to have a sibling like because we don't have a lot of family and I just think about that kind of um you know I I just like him to have someone that understands his situation yeah does that make sense um someone that's sort of on his side (laughs) they can gang up on me later you know (laughs) and be like you know but um yeah I'm very torn at the moment I'm thinking so I've already decided I do have the three if I um I'm going to try those three and if I don't get anything from that well I'm not going to do another round that's that's it it's just meant to be I guess or not meant to be um and yeah it's just age is a big thing for me too now I've just turned 40 in August um so I'm kind of like I need to do it now (laughs) sooner rather than later and at the moment my little darling boy is not a great sleeper not at the moment he's never been a great sleeper yeah so (laughs) well he was until he was about six months old and then yeah and now um yeah so that part of it too it's quite exhausting I'm like so yeah um to be decided be decided (laughs) still to be decided but um probably (laughs) might have to have an update in a couple of years time and see yeah on that one yeah Mm -hmm. definitely so when you look back now on your journey of um, deciding and then conceiving and the pregnancy and and now with little Judy there is there anything you think you'd do differently um I think the only thing I would definitely do differently is start earlier. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. I wish I would have started earlier in my early thirties and not wasted all those years, you know, trying to find Mr. Right. And um, yeah, going on really horrible dates um, (laughs) (laughs) that just were so like soul destroying and um, have started earlier. Oh, yeah, that really is my only regret. Yeah. yeah. So, which um, that would be my only advice to any other, you know, people out there. If you if you're thinking about it, do it. Yeah. Do it now. <laughs> do it now. Don't think about it too long. Just do it. And apart from obviously all the complications you had with his um, health conditions and surgery and things is being a solo mum what you thought it would be yeah absolutely like I honestly like would not change it for the world like he is just he is my world and I am you know I have a lot of people I I don't know if it if I would have been like it um or if it is because of everything he's been through but I have quite um, bad attachment issues to him. <laughs> I um, don't like leaving him. I have I only left him for the very first time um, last week. I went to a friend's wedding in Byron Bay, so um, I took a friend from Brisbane with me to Byron Bay. So yeah. she stayed with him in the hotel room, but that was the longest that I've ever left him with anybody. I was away for 10 hours and I was still attached to my phone saying, is he okay? What's happening? 
Um, it's just like he's fine. He's absolutely fine. Um, and yeah, I I don't know if I would have been like that anyway, but um, he was fine, obviously. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's the hardest thing for me, and I say it all the time. I think it's because you know we haven't had that other person where we can just go. I'm just racing to the shops. He's got to come too. Like I'm just going to get some bread. He's got to come too. Like haven't had that person. We can just sort of have those little bits of time away where you sort of can work yourself up to then being okay with leaving them. Um, the only person I will leave him with is my dad, and because I know he loves pop and dad was there when he had his surgery so I figure you know dad was went through it too so he's very good with him um so I think yeah that's probably the biggest thing I struggle with is just um and it's obviously totally me um not having much time to myself because I (laughs) don't like to leave him but um, I think I'm getting to that stage where I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely ready. Um, I have him booked in. He's starting family daycare next year just for one day a week. Okay. Um, that's all I could get because it's really hard to get care here. Um, there's not much available. Um, so, yeah, that'll be my day, I guess, to myself. Um and I can do some work if I want to do some work or um, just have a day to myself. Yeah. So you packed up and moved when he was five months old to somewhere completely different. How yep. have you found settling in there, um, building a social circle, that sort of thing with, when it's just the two of you? Yeah, it was. Um, so I moved back up here because this is where I grew up. Um, okay. So close to be closer to family. So now my dad is only like... 20 minutes away which is good instead of a whole plane ride away um but a lot of my friends don't live here anymore they've all left so um yeah it has been a big adjustment for me um when we first got back up here we saw the child health nurse and she told me about all these um play groups and things that were on um and then decided to add to the end um but I'm just going to let you know that a lot of the mums are a lot younger than you are. So, <laughs> again, with the age. <laughs> with the age. <laughs> again, with the age. And it kind of just, like, made me go, oh, okay, you know. Um, but I have gone to these playgroups and the mums that I've met are lovely. Um, I don't think age really matters when you're a mum. You have being a mum in common. <laughs> you know, you've got kids, like. I think um, it's more the age of your children because even a few months difference can be so different developmentally. Yeah. So as long as they're similar, yeah. who cares about the parents? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is being the social. Um, went from living in an apartment in Brisbane where I could just walk out the door and there was a cafe straight underneath and, you know, I'd made good friends with the people that owned the cafe. So I'd have that contact with people every day where I'd be like, have a chat and, had my neighbours, which I was really good friends with, um, to coming here and not having some days I don't see people, which is, you know, um, yeah, but I try and we try and get out as much as we can. Um, it is it's a little bit isolated here because there's not much, there's not much to do, but um, we have the beach and um we have pop close by. So that was my main um, main motivation for moving was that Jed had his pop because I thought it was really important that he had that, you know, male figure, I guess, in his life. And, um, yeah, it's been good because he just loves his pop so much. <laughs> so you think you're there for the long term then? I don't know. I wouldn't say yes to that. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, yeah, I think with the way things are currently um, to do with renting and cost of living and stuff like that, we will be staying put for a little while because mm-hmm. it is um it is a lot, not a lot, but it is a bit cheaper up here than it is in a lot of other places. And, um, yeah, it's just we can be comfortable for now. So that's why 
I'm sort of like, I just have to put my, you know, not feelings, but I just have to put, I just have to think about him for, for now. So, yeah, this means that I play groups and things open up some social networks for you and you expand out. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant. Well, it's been a, a bit of a journey you've been on, nice and easy to start with, and then everything you had to do with the surgery, which is uh, pretty stressful, but it's obviously made you a very strong mama bear, so he's a very lucky boy to have you. Is there yeah. anything else you'd like to say to anyone who's considering this journey besides start now? <laughs> start now. Um, yeah, I think like others have said before, like there, and I said at the beginning, um, you know, there's already always so many stresses, so many things you think about, Um financial like and stuff like that but you just make it work you just you do like and there's no bigger reward than having this unconditional love from your own baby like it's just yeah nothing compares I don't think so you know you always make it work yes you have to make sacrifices well you know I do um but I would make all the sacrifices in the world for him at the end of the day, you know, because, yeah, it's all I ever wanted was to be a mum and here I am, you know. I'm, but, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's all rosy. Like we do have our days as you do with toddlers, um, mm-hmm. but we get through it. We, you know, it's, I remember a friend saying to me, she said, remember with every, like bad day comes a new day so you just yeah you just start again the next day and yeah and it's just the at the moment he's going through that really like smoochy phase where he wants to cug cugs all the time and kisses and he says he'll come to me and say kiss cug and I'm like oh I can't (laughs) I can't deal with your cuteness and yeah it's very rewarding yeah well that's the perfect ending thank you so much for sharing your story megan i can't wait for everyone to hear it thank you i'm alicia and this is the no need for prince charming podcast bringing you stories of australian solo mums who created their own happy ending if you like what you heard please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier Bye for now.